Hello, my name is Naranjan, the host of Master of Your Crafts podcast. Learning from leaders who are continuously inspired, passionate, and driven to align with their soul purpose, sharing their gifts to bring healing to others. The music is composed by Rebecca Everett. episode number nine, where we will be talking to Niru Padmanavan and learn how she developed the mastery of stepping outside of traditional boundaries as her craft. Niru was a former community social service worker for 13 years, where she worked in shelters, addiction facilities, with low-income families, seniors, and with battered women. Niru realized throughout her career that poverty and low wage were a symptom to a problem and the root cause was lack of financial preparedness. After much deliberation and research, she decided to redirect her career in the financial sector to tackle the problem. Now she's on a mission to serve, educate, and help people secure their financial future. Nero is now a financial professional who helps families, individuals, and businesses to achieve their financial goals. Her approach is to educate so individuals can make informed decisions. Her goal is no family to be left behind. So welcome to Niru. Niru, welcome to Master of Your Crafts podcast. Thank you for being available. Join this conversation and share a little bit about you. Let me ask you a bold big question. What is it you believe about yourself and do you think it defines who you are? First of all, Narendran, I want to say thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. I really, really appreciate the opportunity again. You're wonderful at edifying other people and saying amazing things about them. When you hear them back, sounds kind of weird. Uh, even for me, when we have this conversation today, it's weird to talk about yourself. And I think that's a trait that we've picked up in history of being human, I think, because a lot of us are told to believe in humility and not to talk about ourselves and not to talk about all the good things that we do, not to believe that some ways that we are amazing. And, you know, every day I wake up and I tell myself that Niru, I love you. You're doing a great job. You're an amazing person. And this is something that I'm learning to do. So every day I'm learning to love myself a little bit more. And that's all I can tell people to do too. I'm learning to forgive myself a little bit more every day and not be so hard on myself. So that's the best piece. That's the first thing I can actually say. So thank you. That's beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing that. I do agree. It's the humility and it's the humbleness that we each can bring in our lives of how we represent ourselves and who we are and connect with ourselves on a deeper level, right? Mm -hmm. From our conversations, I recognize that that aspect of you has not been an easy journey. It's not been a process that was very natural, as it is for many. It's quite a story. It's quite a journey to get from A to B. But in the same token, I feel like 
it was a necessary thing for you to be who you are to live out your calling, so to speak, of who you are now. Do you want to share a little bit about that? It wasn't an easy journey. And I don't think it's an easy journey for a lot of people. I've met some high powered individuals. And a lot of them will say that I had to build the identity to become who I wanted to be. And that in itself isn't an easy journey. But acceptance is first part of that journey. So if I accept that I need to become different, if I need to accept myself, I need to work towards being that person, then whether it be good, hard, bad, amazing, easy, you'll do it. If you want to reach that goal, if you have a vision, if you have a calling, you will get there. So if I need to help people the way I want to help people, I realized that I needed to change. And that journey wasn't easy. I wasn't always the nicest person. I was angry sometimes. I was angry at the world. Uh, I didn't like the cards that I was dealt. I felt like in some ways, a lot of things weren't fair. And I recognized that in reality, for a lot of people, things aren't fair. But story after story will tell us adversity creates a reality, adversity creates resilience, strength, and all of those things. And you are able to fight it. I can't say I had some terrible, really, really bad environments, like some of the people that I've worked with in the past in social services. It's what I felt. It's what I thought was around me and that I couldn't move forward. But one day, and it didn't happen in one day, uh, it happened slowly. I came to a realization I wanted to be something different. I wanted to see change in my environment. And then I started striving to be that person. So it started with recognizing, setting a goal, looking at a different vision. And then it was personal development all the way. It was taking time to actually work towards myself. So it's like anything. If I want to get in shape uh, physically, I got to set a goal of the amount of weight I want to lose, or I got to set a goal of healthy and I have to define healthy for myself. And then I have to start working at it. So I thought to myself, if I want to get physically healthy, I do all the right things. So I want to get mentally healthy this time. I want to get emotionally intelligent this time. So I started to work at it and I worked at it every single day and I continue to work at it every single day. I can't say that every day is a perfect day, but I strive and I reset every day. Every day that doesn't work, I say to myself, new, tomorrow's a new day, reset, restart, and move forward. That's what it is. I think a big aspect of that journey is reevaluating what it is that shows up in our lives as lessons and as opportunities to grow and to expand and to learn from these scenarios and situations from a cultural perspective, because mm-hmm. we're both from the same ethnicities, mm-hmm. and identifying the challenges that you had come across from a cultural perspective and making those shifts, even though it was challenging the cultural norms. Mm -hmm. societal norms 
and all the other, I want to say, restrictions or limitations that are embedded on us, even though they're not embedded in a negative intention, with good intention, because our parents do the best that they can, mm. but ultimately, from a different perspective, it adds a different layer and complexity of who we are as individuals. How has that shifted those experiences with your family, with your dad, and with everybody that you have had to make that shift, how it defined you then to how it's positioned you now in your calling of life? And what are the, some of the attributes that make new Nehru? We are from the same ethnicity, same cultural backgrounds, similar upbringings. So I grew up in an East Indian family. Um, from North India and my parents immigrated here in the late seven, mid and late seventies. And when they immigrated here, a lot of times what happens when immigrants come over, they hold on to their culture tighter than they would have if they were back in their country. I, I remember the term from anthropology class, anthropology 101. Um, it's all called ethnocentricity, I believe. That happened to my parents and it happened to many parents. Probably Narendra's parents were quite similar in that as well, where they kind of held on to their culture so tightly because they thought because they were in a foreign country, they had to hold on to that value system. So it creates a friction in accepting the cultural norms of a new country, which are not always right. So the cultural norms in Canada weren't always right at that time. But holding on to the cultural norms of your former country, of your former culture, was not always perfect as well. So we got, we grew up in a very strict household, lots of rules, and lots of rules around girls. I think that happens quite often in Eastern families. Um, I know I have some Asian friends that agree, and they said, oh, I, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. And it was strict disciplinary families. And a lot of times when you grow up with a lot of restrictions, you take on those limitations. You take on the limitations that come from those restrictions. I did exactly that. I thought that I couldn't do certain things because I was a girl. And I shouldn't do certain things because I'm a girl. So you're automatically ingrained not to take risks. You're automatically ingrained not to look outside the box, to stay within the lines that are drawn out for you. Um, a lot of times, if there's any East Indian or Indian listeners, um, they'll call it a Lakshman Rekha. It goes back to like Hinduism and biblical times and something called a Ramayan, which is you stay within your boundaries. And if you don't listen, that's where all the bad things happen. And you believe in the boundaries that your parents set for you are right. Again, just like Narendran said, our parents don't want to do badly for us. So when I was growing up, I never really looked outside the box. Uh, you know, my parents had everything set. And not that that was anything wrong. Uh, I know plenty of my friends that followed those lines and they live amazing, beautiful lives. But I recognize that wasn't for me. I didn't want to just live within that box, within those lines. And I chose a career even that my parents didn't really think was important. Uh, mental health and addictions, social services, community social services. 
a lot of times in Indian culture, our Eastern culture, mental health isn't even recognized. They don't believe in depression. And at the time, my parents really didn't recognize mental health. And they go, what are you getting into? And But because I was going to school, because I was doing a course, they said, okay, fine, just finish school. And, you know, it was funny. I, I chose that field for a reason because it was my way of helping. I, I recognized and I saw depression in our community. I saw mental health in our community and I saw it going unrecognized. So I chose that field unknowingly out of what I had learned and saw. And it was my way of being conventionally unconventional. And once I started to recognize that even in this field, I felt limited. I felt failures in this field because I saw the root cause of the problem wasn't really being addressed. I started to feel friction. And when I'm in social services, most of my clients are ending up in shelter system. More than half of my clients are seniors. I had clients with cancer, acute illness, and the reason they were coming into the shelter system is because they weren't properly protected. They didn't have their financials in order. I said, this is not something that I can respect. So I try to go find somebody that could help educate my clients. And my dad's like, why are you doing all of this extra work? Kind of stay in the lines of your work. Do what you can. You have a really busy schedule already. But I said, no, I, I want to do this. And I couldn't really find anybody in the conventional industry that would help my low-income clients. And then one day I did find somebody and I started chatting with her more. We, we developed a friendship and she said, you know, instead of me educating your clients, you know them better. You know what, where they're coming out of. You know the mental health. You know the breaks in that system. Why don't you just do this? So... <laughs> When she said that, like, I was like, oh my God, yeah, why don't I do this? Why didn't I just think of this? I was like, yeah, let's do this. And I became a financial professional. But first and foremost, it was a big decision. It was a, it sounds like it was a smooth transition, but it really wasn't. There was a lot of pieces that created a lot of friction. There was a lot of edges I needed to smooth out okay, I'm already not conventional. I'm already not a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, those mainstream careers that Indians choose. So I already wasn't those things. And then when I looked at it, merging off into finances, running my own business, my dad's like, you don't have business sense. You don't have a business master's or anything. And I said, you know what I do have? I have a platform, I have a friend, and I have heart. And the universe is guiding me here. And this is where I need to be. So second piece of that was forgiving everything that I had learned. And I know it sounds weird when I say it. I'm not forgiving my parents. There's nothing to forgive. They did the best with the tools that they have. I accepted my parents for who they were. And then I forgave myself. I forgave those lessons that I learned. And I still continue to forgive those lessons. When my dad had said things to me, I can forgive him for the things that he said, but only thing I can do is accept my upbringing. And I think John Maxwell talks about accepting life for what it is. So if I accept life for what it is, then I'm not having friction. 
I'm not trying to change what happened in the past because I can't. Power of now. If you look at Eckhart Tolle, he wrote The Power of Now. The only real moment I have is today. I can't change what happened in the past. I can't change my upbringing. I can't change the moments. But what I can do is accept those moments and I can forgive that past and just move forward in now, in today, and accept the journey. There's that story that everybody knows that the man on his roof, there is a storm or there's a flood. He prayed to God to save him. God sent the guy in the boat came by and he's like, no, God's going to come and save me. And then, you know, the helicopter came by and he didn't take the helicopter. And then somebody else came by and he didn't take that. And then he died. And then he went up to heaven. He's like, God, hey, dude, you didn't save me. The God's like, whoa, hold on a second there, buddy. Hold on. I sent all these people to save you. I realized when I was praying to God for something that really fulfilled me, and I really got to question that root cause, all of this was leading me there. And there was pieces in my path, those little nuggets that God was handing to me that I didn't take. So either I told myself, I can take this nugget and move forward with it, or I can wait for the next nugget to come. And I said, you know what, this is the best opportunity. And all I'm going to do is move forward to it. I'm going to commit to it 100%. And I'm just going to go for it. And once I started to go for it, once I started to do that work on forgiveness, acceptance, and looking at today as a moment, that mindfulness, when we talk about being in now, things really started to change. And I don't mean like change. I lost two pounds and I'm really happy. Like, I mean, I went from living in a small, tiny town and I got laid off from my job three times, social services. This is government contracts. And I kept on getting laid off. And it wasn't that I was getting laid off. We were losing our contracts. And I said, the universe is trying to guide me towards something else. I didn't take it as, oh my God, I'm not qualified because I know I'm qualified. I know engineers that continue to get laid off. So I'm like, it's not that they're not qualified. It's just a function. Something is pushing you somewhere else. And I either have to move with it or I can fight it. And I chose to move with it and life just began to change. And that year where I got laid off three times, I accepted moving on into being a financial professional. I got licensed, found my husband online all the way in Toronto. That's why I'm here. I used to live all the way in Dawson Creek and I got married to him the following year. In this journey, when I just went to figure out a career, I found my soulmate I found a higher purpose. I found a higher cause. I found new people that I love and care about. It's amazing when you start accepting. So beautifully said. I love it. And you touched (laughs) on so many elements there that were so vital and so key. From the cultural aspect of who you are, what brought you to that space and knowing to removing the obstacles that are in your way. And I really want to say being courageous and being bold 
to make that move because it's not an easy place to go. I know that I've been there. It's a very challenging play. Mm-hmm. Be it a chessboard game that we play of life. It's a very powerful move that you can make. But in the same token, it's a powerful one and a necessary one mm-hmm. for you to grow and expand as a person and really evolve into who you are and take control of your life. Because recognizing where you are now and where you have been from the past, mm-hmm. the contrast is so vivid. Mm-hmm. Within that, then you only know what is right for you. It speaks to you on a whole different level. I know it did for me when I made a big shift in my life. The contrasting was so wide and it just put me in a very different space. And maybe it was an element of just growing and expanding and having that space and having the concept and the idea that that opportunity is actually available. I think that is part of that reason. Because like you said, from a cultural perspective, and I don't want to say just only East Indian families, because I know it's very prevalent in many cultures, mm-hmm. in many religious backgrounds, that whole positioning of how to protect their children and what that network and nuclear family piece really looks like. Mm-hmm. It's ingrained within all cultures. I think our culture has an added layer of complexity. Um, as it evolves, I feel, because I feel the culture is now evolving, as that evolves even further, I'm excited to see where that's going to go and where it's going to land in a nice neutral spot mm-hmm. rather than in an extreme spot. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really powerful. From what you've shared and how things have fallen for you from the universe and put together it seems like you've been able to really craft something with a clear intention of what got you into working in mental health in the first place, even though you're not in that industry at the moment. But having all the background and having the education and the awareness of it, it's put you in a different alignment, but I feel like your intention is still the same. Would you say that's true? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. My intention is to help individuals. And now that I work in money and finance, money and finance won't fix anything. It won't fix relationships. It won't change domestic violence. It won't change illness. But one thing it will do is make things easier if you know where the next meal is coming from. Mm-hmm when we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of need, and this was kind of like light bulb moment for me. It was that click moment. If anybody ever gets a chance, please do look up Maslow's hierarchy of need. And I know a lot of people actually know about it. It is kind of a mainstream theory. It's used a lot, not only psychosocial rehabilitation, but it's used mainstream to explain a lot of things. Because what Maslow says is that you have a foundation And your foundation is your safety, your home, your food, your clothing. And if you don't have any of that, and it's kind of built up like a triangle, like a home. So the foundation is your main piece. If you don't have any of that, then you're never able to move up 
because you're never feeling safe. It's psychological. Those mental factors crumble any other tier that you build up because you don't have the main pieces mm-hmm. quickly crumbles. But if you have those main pieces like safety, food, water, all those main factors taken care of, it's easier to build that foundation. Whether or not it's a cycle that you have to relive, a lesson that you continue to have to face or relive, but if you have those safety factors, Mm -hmm. then you're much likely to move up. I saw that in my field when I was working in mental health and addictions. I did it for a long time. I also volunteered while I was working as is a very common thing for individuals who work in that field. I worked in housing, low-income individuals. I worked outreach programming. And a lot of times I saw with a lot of my clients, once I got them stable housing, we were able to look at stable job then. And once I got them the stable job, we were able to put in some counseling sometimes. We were starting to able to get them around better people, more stable individuals, and that environment around them started to change. So they started to change. And oftentimes when we added counseling into it, then life would build up for them in different ways. Mm -hmm. So because of that foundation piece was there. So that's what I'm trying to provide. If I can let people know that there's just a few key things that we can do for you financially, then you can start building up these tiers. And a lot of people have safety, they have security, they have some things built up for themselves. But one thing can happen, like illness or disability can happen. Even in my own life, my dad had a heart attack, a stroke and a heart attack. And he wasn't that old. I think he was about 50 years old or so, 52. And so it happened very young for him. And my siblings were quite young during that time. Uh, I was a little bit older. My parents had two kids after us that were a little bit younger. We had this age gap. Bullied children. My dad's health wasn't good. My mom was a homemaker. So life quickly crumbled. So I saw it in my own experience that one thing, if your foundation isn't set, all those tears start to fall. Because that stress starts to kick in. So my goal is still to help people. I just choose to do it in a different way. And that's what I want people to understand is your goal can be the same. But what's your way of helping? What's your way of giving back? What's your way of contributing? I met this amazing young lady. Her name is Mina Nguyen. Mina wants to become a counselor. And it's out of her own experience. She was doing other things and she had an amazing career, but she doesn't feel that she's contributing in the way she wants to give back. She decided to make a career change. She's looking into making a career change. It's missing contribution. So a lot of people, even if it's not a part of their career, but if they don't find any way of giving back in the way that they want to give back because everybody wants to contribute because everybody wants to feel significant. I'm going to go back to John Maxwell, but I'm not sure exactly where I read it. And I know Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about this as well in his book, Contributing. Um, I know Satguru um, in his teaching talks about contributions. I think it's been mentioned so many times. If you don't feel like you're contributing somewhere in there, 
you're going to feel insignificant and that's going to start putting holes in your boat. So what's your way of contributing? Either it's going to be through what you do as work or what you do in your life with your family members, or it's going to be through volunteer work or through other endeavors with your friends. But we all want to feel that we contribute in some way, not only to our lives, but to the lives of others. I just want people to recognize that if they're feeling that something's wrong, if they're missing that contribution, to go find it. And that's what I've done. I've just found a different way of contributing that's unconventional. And when I tell people why I'm doing finance and money instead of doing anything else, they kind of look at me weird. When I give them the reason why, the information behind it, a lot of people look at it differently. And I want to teach people not to fear money, not to hate money, because it's not the cause of all evils, like we've been told. It's just another tool. It's just a facet of our life, but it's a fundamental facet of our life. And if we don't pay attention to it, then other pieces of our life will fall apart. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Another aspect of that might be, yes, recognizing we want to give back. And yes, recognizing there's a component in us. Maybe subconsciously, we don't often identify of when we give back, we're also a receiver. Mm-hmm. When we were a giver, we also receive. And it doesn't necessarily come from the same format in which we give it. The universe or something higher, God, divine, whatever you want to call it, will present other opportunities and have that return to you. Only if it's from an authentic intention. If it's from an intention with a tag, with a second agenda, or with an ulterior motive, it's not going to work. We know that. We've seen it. I think everybody's probably got a story or two when they've contributed to something with a second intention. So that adds an added layer of complexity of being courageous, to tap into that space of courage and being bold, to stand up for who you are and stand up for volunteering and giving back serving others in a way Mm -hmm. that in itself is such a powerful aspect and way of positioning yourself in any culture for anybody Mm -hmm. I love the way you you made that comment one thing I want to be really clear about this is something that Satguru said and Satguru is considered a mystic in India in South India and a lot of individuals have mentioned this I don't want people to mix up. If you do contribute and you work, there's nothing wrong with reaping the benefits of it. If I do work, I get paid for it. And that's just an exchange. That is fine. Sadhguru said the same thing. Would you rather me be in rags? Would you rather me be starving? With the money that you donate, you give, you listen to me, you get knowledge from me and you pay for that knowledge. I put that money towards other great things. But I also take care of myself and there's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself. So don't mix up that message that everything you contribute has to be free. It just has to be with your mission and your true heart. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm going to say this. I do get paid better for finance. It's one of the highest paying fields in the world. It's the real estate market plus the retail market times two and a half. So it is one of the highest paying fields out there. And I do get compensated really well. At the same time, I get to provide value. I get to make a living helping other individuals. And that's the same thing I did in social services. I got paid to help other people. I know a lot of people mix those two things up. There's nothing wrong in helping people and getting compensated because when you get compensated, you're satisfying that first thing of Maslow's hierarchy of need. You're looking at it and you're taking care of yourself so you can take care of others. So there's nothing wrong with getting compensated, but there is something wrong when you're trying to dupe others, if you're, if you have an alternative agenda, if you're trying to get more than what you're compensated for, if, if I'm overselling, then mm-hmm. I'm doing the wrong thing for my client. Right. If I'm selling them something they don't need, then I'm doing something wrong. That's where things will go back, yeah. go the wrong way. Yeah. That's wrong. But if I do the right thing 100% of the time, there's nothing wrong with the service that I provide and I deserve to be compensated for that. I just wanted to point that out because I know a lot of people struggle with that, especially those in caring fields and those energy healing fields. That's a big thing um, that a lot of individuals talk about because I'm also a, a Reiki master and I still struggle and I used to hold meditation classes and I never charged for any of those things. And somebody's like, you should charge for this. And I still struggle with charging for those aspects of my skills. So there's nothing wrong for charging for the time and service that you put in. Just do it with a clear heart. We deserve to live equitable lives. We deserve to serve ourselves, our family. And it's what we do with that money and what we do with that safety that counts. So Please just don't mix that up, everybody. I, I, I want you to know that. It's still an ongoing struggle for me as well. So I know it's probably an ongoing struggle for other people. So I've been told if I think it, probably every second person is thinking the same thing. So, But I think the interesting point here is your desire and your intention to make a change and give back, right? So yes, many mystics have said this in different formats, but the ultimate gift is recognizing your purpose, your intention, and your fulfillment. What Mm -hmm. does that look like? And I see it as a pattern in your experiences and your story, essentially, Mm -hmm. of how you went into mental health. educated and you you understood that component of giving back and support and leaning Mm -hmm. on that moving into the financial field your basic intention and your purpose is still being met it's just how you've chosen to educate yourself how you've chosen to use the skill sets that are so innate to you that are so innate to you so you can give back and be mm-hmm. of service. I totally agree with what you said in terms of some fields are more recognized than others. Even going back even further from our beginning of our conversation of East Indian families recognizing if you're not a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant, 
or any of these high-ranking jobs, so to speak, then you're a nobody, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's the same format. It's the same conditioning that we have received. Mm-hmm. And what I think many people are challenged with, where is that label? Where is that hierarchy? Where is that status that I can tap on to validate that? Because society had validated it. Mm-hmm. And because our cultural beliefs has validated it. Mm-hmm. But what does that all look like? So I really want to thank you for sharing that and making that point. I think it's, it's very crucial. Yeah. Thank you for asking the question. This is why I wanted to interview you because I know there's so much more depth and wisdom similarities to a certain degree of how you've lived your life and the transition you've made because there are many cultural families maybe more so we can relate from east indian families of how to make that shift and it's not the big bad monster that's making that shift mm-hmm. it's an authentic calling from a real heart space that's nudging is in this space so mm-hmm. I want to thank you for being so courageous mm-hmm. in what you have endured and taken on those challenges for yourself, but also thank you for sharing so candidly and so openly and so eloquently your mm-hmm. stories because mm-hmm. it does hit an element of vulnerability when I do interview people that often things show up that may not be ex- as expected. So thank you so much for sharing Thank you so much for having me. You know why it does strike a chord because you get anxious. You're not used to talking about yourself. It's not appropriate to talk about yourself. The reason I do talk about myself and I, I want people to learn from my experience. Don't make the mistakes that I did, I, but everybody has to go through their journey and just authentically be yourself. You don't need to be anybody else because the person you are is amazing and you're not the person that's going to be there at the end. You're going to build up to that person. So don't be afraid of who you are now. Accept yourself in every piece of the journey and look forward to who you want to become and who you will become based on your experiences. And thank you, Naranjan. I still say I'm going to interview you on your podcast one day because I think your listeners will benefit from, from you the most. Thank you again for this opportunity. I can't say thank you enough. And thank you for listeners. Thank you. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you so much, Niru. And we will be talking again soon. I'm Naranjan, and you've been listening to Master of Your Crafts podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And join me next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.